Revelation Church, welcome to week 93 of the Gospel of Matthew. We began in May of 2018. Friends from all of life, Doxa and Transform, thank you so much for graciously letting us finish our study of this book with you this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Before we start reading, though, got a question for you kiddos. Lots of kids today. Does the earth revolve around the sun, or does the sun revolve around the earth? The earth goes around the sun. Are you sure? Yeah. Maybe, a little iffy. Yeah, the earth revolves around the sun. That's pretty well established, but about... Uh, 500 years ago, it was kind of up in the air. There were a bunch of people that believed in something called geocentrism, which meant that the earth was the center of the solar system. And then these guys came along, guys like Copernicus and Kepler and some other astronomers, and they said, maybe, maybe it's different. Maybe everything we know about the basic reality of our life is different. Because see, we live on earth, most of us, and we stand here today and it feels like the earth is pretty stable. Nothing's really going on. And at night we look up in the sky and all the heavenly bodies just kind of spin around. And so it makes sense that the earth is in the center and everything rotates around it. But there's these other stars. They called them wanderers back then. We call them planets now, where they'd start going across the sky, and then they'd stop, and then they'd go backwards, and then they'd stop, and then they'd go forwards again. And nobody could really figure out what was going on. So they developed these really complicated explanations and theories to account for these wanderers. But Copernicus came along and said, wait, what if, hear me out now, Everything you think that's true about the earth is wrong, and that the sun is actually at the center of the solar system, and the earth and all of the wanderers orbit around that. If we take that as our basic fact about the world, all that weird backward and forward stuff, it all just works itself out. See, one story makes sense on the surface because it accords with our experience of life, but it actually needs a lot of complicated calculations and theories to come close to representing what we see. The other story, Copernicus's story, is simple. It's elegant. It fits the facts, but it requires that we believe something that at first does not seem likely. So what does this matter? Why am I telling you this story? Well, for most of us, it doesn't matter. Who cares if the sun revolves around the earth or the earth revolves around the sun? But who's seen the new pictures of the rover from Mars? Super cool. It's got a helicopter on it that comes out and it's going to fly around. That is neat. It's neat. Um. If I'm the engineer that needs to get that rocket to Mars, does it matter whether the Earth revolves around the sun or the sun revolves around the Earth? Yeah, a lot. If I get that basic question wrong, I am not going to land my little helicopter on Mars. 
So there's another thing, though, that's more important that we need to explain, and that's the Christian faith. Here's a question. How did this, this poor Jewish rabbi inspire his followers to expand across the Roman Empire, convert millions to their cause while suffering horrific persecution for hundreds of years? What caused the commitment of other-centered love that resulted in the invention of the orphanage and the hospital and the university? How is it that there are literally billions of people around the world that have pledged their allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth? And maybe most importantly, why are we all sitting in the middle of a field this morning in the cold? Matthew gives us two stories to explain this in Matthew 28. We're going to start with what I'm calling the story of the women in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. And the angel told the women, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. And then Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. So this is how the women's story goes. They, the women who are Jesus' friends, Jesus' followers, have been learning from him for several years. Some of them we learn from other places are actually financing his ministry. They took it upon themselves to prepare Jesus for burial. Their savior, their rabbi, their teacher, their friend had died a horrific death by crucifixion. They loved him and cared for them, and they wanted to see his body dealt with appropriately in the grave. They weren't expecting him to rise from the dead. They didn't get enough time to finish prepping him for his final resting place. And so they brought more spices and balm to finish what they had started a couple days before. But they're interrupted by an earthquake. An angel shows up. Angels usually just look like people. This one shows up suddenly like lightning, and he's really bright. And there's a guard there. We learn in Matthew chapter 27 that, that uh, Jesus' enemies knew that he said he was going to rise from the dead. And they're like, we don't believe he's going to rise from the dead, but there might be some funny business at the tomb. So let's put some guards there to make sure nothing gets out of hand. And so there's some guards guarding a dead body in a tomb that's covered by a rock. And they see this angel and they faint because it's scary. And the angel walks up and he, he pushes the tomb, the, the, the rock over. And he shows the women, look, no one's in here. Jesus did not walk out of the tomb. He had left. The tomb was opened by the angel for the benefit of the women. 
And then I love this. I love this little detail. Matthew says, and then he sat on the stone. The tomb is probably four feet tall in the opening. So then the, the stone's probably about five feet tall. So you've got this angel, he's sitting on the stone and his legs are dangling down. He's, got, he's going, Jesus isn't here, you guys. Look, he's having a great day. This is a good day for this angel. He's like, it's like Clive, um, whenever I imagine angels, they're always like weird British guys. <laughs> Clive, I want you to go down there. Yeah, and do the, the bright, shiny lightning thing. The guards will freak out. It'll be funny. And roll the stone back and tell the women that Jesus rose from the dead. He's having a really great day. So the women are totally freaked out and excited. And they go to tell their friends, the disciples, who are hiding. And Jesus shows up. My Bible says Jesus, Jesus says greetings. That's kind of a lame translation. Jesus shows up and goes, hi, because Jesus is having a great day too. Many of us were at the Good Friday service. We, we sat in the pain and the torture and the suffering and the shame of the cross on Friday. Friday is gone. Sunday is here. Jesus is having a good day. Good morning, he says. And they came and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And he said, now go tell the disciples, my brothers, that I'm here, that I'll meet them in Galilee. And this is just what Matthew says happened. So here's a question. Matthew's not here. He's one of the disciples that are hiding. How does Matthew know what happened? Who told him? Nobody knows. The women told him, right? They were the ones that were there. And then, we don't have a lot of time for this, but this is important. In the first century, nobody believed women. Thankfully, we don't have that problem anymore. But uh, if you were a woman in the first century, your testimony was not valid in court. And so if uh, Matthew, some people would say, Matthew's just trying to make up a religion here. If Matthew's making up a religion He's doing a bad job of it because his key witnesses are not trustworthy. No one would have believed them. This is a mark of authenticity of this story that Matthew's just telling it like he heard it. But there's a problem. What's the problem with this story? There's a big problem, and it's that somebody rose from the dead. And that's just not how we experience the world. I don't know anybody that's risen from the dead. I don't have, I, that doesn't happen. Somebody, uh, I, I noticed a, um, uh, an anthropologist from the UK t tweeted a couple days ago, annual reminder, dead people don't come back to life. And yeah, I, okay. But see, this story, it accounts for the data. This group of followers dedicated to the teaching of the man that they said wasn't dead anymore and that they were convinced had empowered him with his supernatural spirit to spread his message of how everyone can be made new, free from sin and death all around the world. That makes sense. If somebody rises from the dead, you'd listen to them. <laughs> but there's another story. This is called the story of the priests. Look at verse 11. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. 
And after the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. So Matthew's writing this gospel probably 10 or 20 years after the events. He's a pastor living in either Israel or maybe Turkey. We're not sure. He has a church that he's leading and he's decided, I'm going to write down the story of Jesus. And he says, even to this day, people are saying that we stole the body while the guards were sleeping. And if I'm honest, that sounds plausible. I mean, people steal stuff, right? Like all the time. Because see, the major problem with this other story that a person is rising from the dead is it's hard to believe. Carl Sagan is an astronomer. He's no longer with us, and he wasn't really a man of faith. He said that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I would agree with that. If somebody came running out of these woods and said they're being chased by a fire-breathing rainbow unicorn, (laughs) I would have questions. But see, like the priests don't need a story because they find the resurrection implausible. They need another story because they cannot have Jesus rising from the dead. They have to maintain their power, their wealth, their authority over the people. And this resurrection thing just cannot gain traction. They are comfortable. And a Jesus that rises from the dead upsets their comfort. And I would say for some of us today, A Jesus that rises from the dead upsets our lifestyle and upsets our comfort. Talk about that a little bit more later. So they need to have a different story. We can't say that Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples stole the body while the guards were asleep. I'm the kind of person that if you need me to do something, you just need to design an app for it, and I will do it. I have an app that counts my calories and my exercise. I have an app that tells me what time to pray. I have an app that uh, tracks the electricity usage in my house. And I have an app that tells me how well I am sleeping. It sits on my nightstand and it uses the microphone in my phone to listen to me all night long. And I know some of you are like, that's super creepy. I don't even care anymore. (laughs) And it it gives me a graph at the, in the morning that says how well I've slept and it based on how I'm tossing and turning. And if anything weird happens, it records it. And so I've got a whole list of audio files of me snoring at two o'clock in the morning every day. It's great. But the reason that app is so helpful is because when I am asleep, I am completely unaware of what's happening in the outside world. Is that true for you? So the disciples stole the body while the guards were sleeping. How do the guards know that? They do not, because they were sleeping, and they do not have the app. (laughs) So at first, it seems like a fairly plausible story, but it doesn't really work. Later on, after a number of years, people started thinking, well, maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. That's another alternate story. It's one of those, like, believe women moments again. Um, But how long does that last? They they go to the tomb, it's empty, it's the wrong tomb, they run into the city, Jesus is risen from the dead. The next day, the priests are like, hey, you guys, you went to the wrong tomb. Here's the dead body of the guy that you're worshiping, and Christianity is over. 
Some would say that everybody hallucinated. Maybe that's the story. The women, they hallucinated. The disciples, they hallucinated. The Apostle Paul, he said 500 people saw Jesus at one time. They all hallucinated. But that's not really how hallucinations work. You can create a circumstance where lots of people hallucinate, but hallucinations come from inside your individual mind. And so to have everybody hallucinate the same thing just doesn't work that way. I was reading a story about some Navy SEALs. And in order to become a Navy SEAL, you have to go through this week of hardcore training on about three hours of sleep. And the guy telling the story said that about halfway through the week, they have to cross this body of water in a little boat. And that's usually when the hallucinations start. One of the guys said that they were crossing the river in the boat and he saw an octopus pop up out of the water and wave at them. <laughs> but at the same time, another guy saw this giant ship coming at their little boat that was going to capsize them. They were all in a similar state of mind where they would hallucinate, but since they all have different minds, they all hallucinated different things. And to have a cohesive story that would last the test of time and establish this faith, this religious experience that propels people into the world with the gospel of Jesus based on a bunch of different hallucinations doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what's the problem with the priest's story? See, at first, it seems like it's based more on how we understand the world. People steal stuff. I, I get lost sometimes. Maybe the women got lost. I've, I've, I kind of know what hallucinations are. But it ends up being really complicated. And the more you think about it, the more it falls apart. And it doesn't really do a good job of explaining the reality of the Christian faith. But again, just like our little astronomy lesson, why does it matter? Who cares? You have a job, you have a family, maybe your marriage is struggling, you keep watching the news and it feels like the United States is getting weirder and weirder, the world seems to be falling apart. But see, that's the lie that some of us are believing today, that this story doesn't really matter. Whichever side you choose, whichever story you pick, it's not a big deal. How did this movement of first century peasants turn the entire world upside down, inspired by Jesus' love? The way you answer that story, the story you believe, will affect every aspect of your life. If you believe the priest story this morning, nothing has to change. You maintain your comfort. You maintain your lifestyle. You maintain the power that you have. But if you believe the women's story, the whole world is different today. The center of your solar system has changed because Jesus has risen from the dead. So as we wind down, what are some implications of this story? Let's keep looking in Matthew 28. The disciples do what Jesus asked. They meet him in Galilee. And in verse 18, we read, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to leave you with three implications of the Jesus story. If Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is in charge of everything. 
Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is in charge of everything. He says, all authority has been given to me. You rise from the dead, you have a certain amount of clout. (laughs) Jesus' resurrection is a sign of his authority. It's the mark that he really is God. If Jesus rose from the dead, you and I need to pay attention because Jesus stakes a claim on every single part of your life. Your health, your job, your marriage, your kids, your politics, your body, all of these things belong to him. And you are accountable to him for everything that you are and everything that you do. And some of you this morning are ignoring Jesus' authority. Jesus has authority on Sunday, but on Monday at work, I just need to do what it takes to get ahead at my job. Jesus has authority at the family dinner table, but what I do on my computer at night is my own business. Jesus has authority when I agree with everything I hear at church, but when scripture makes me uncomfortable, I can just ignore that part. Or maybe you're listening to this and you realize that Jesus has no authority in your life. You don't You don't make decisions and you don't even think, what would Jesus want me to do about that? For some of us, we need to recognize that Jesus is in charge of everything. But look what else Jesus says. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Because see, Jesus Jesus is on a mission to remake the world without the brokenness of sin and death, and that includes you. Jesus died for all the darkness in your heart, and he is inviting you to simply trust him to take care of it. Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that you have been invited into his family. And for some of you, you're saying, oh, he's talking to non-Christians now. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, I am. But for many of us, many of us church people, what you need to hear is you are being invited into Jesus' family. You live your life in fear, going through the motions, doing the church stuff, living with guilt and shame that you can't seem to overcome. And you can't tell anybody about it. Because if anybody knew, even in the church, you would be disowned, you would be rejected. Jesus can't possibly love you that much. It's best to keep your head down and not think of it. But whether you have never considered the claims of Christ or whether you have been a church person for the last 40 years, Jesus wants you to be a part of his family. And he says, after after you've recognized the surpassing love of Christ, after you've basked in the grace of God to take your sins from you on the cross and give you a foreign goodness that you do not deserve, after that, go out and tell everybody you know the good news. Make disciples, Jesus says. And then look what he says at the end. I am with you always.
to the end of the age. Friends, if Jesus rose from the dead, he's got you. He loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He knows some of you. I don't know everybody here. I know some of you, and I know some of your stories, and it's awful right now. The pain is unbearable right now. The tensions in your family, the fear about your jobs, the health struggles that you're wrestling with are really, really bad. Jesus knows how unbearable it seems. And he says, I'm not going anywhere. And he loves you more than anyone else. See, if Jesus rose from the dead, there are implications. He has authority over everything that you do and everything that you are. You have been graciously invited into the party that is his family. And he's never going to let go of you. Matthew gives us two stories about the center of the world. Either Jesus is the center or ultimately you are. And this morning, just like every morning, we all have the choice to believe one of those stories. You can believe the story of the priests, try your best to ignore the evidence of how this whole thing started, stand firm in your assumption that you know how the world works, and hold on to what feels like your own power and authority and autonomy. Or you can believe the story of the women. You can recognize that God broke into the world in a unique way on Easter morning. And that everything about your life and everything about the world is different now. Because Jesus rose from the dead. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.